I won't read the scripture passage again, um, but I'll read it as I as I kind of go through this. Um, this is a this is a passage. If you if you read chapter thirteen, and I know some of you studied that in in uh, Bible study this morning, and um, this is a this is one parable in a in a group of parables. Jesus Jesus taught them in parables, and in fact, the Bible says that it, that that Jesus didn't say anything to the people that he wasn't teaching them in parables, and uh, and this just happens to be one of the parables that that Jesus taught right. Right before this one, he, he taught the parable of the sower, the, where the guy went out and he sowed seed, and some of it fell along the path, and some of it fell on rocky ground. And, and, and every time Jesus did one of these parables, um, he said, and, and, and this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this, is, this, is, this can be compared to the kingdom of heaven. He, he didn't say this is what the kingdom of heaven is. He says what it's like. A parable... Uh, for those of you who may not be church people or understand the, the language of church, and, and maybe you're new to the Bible, a parable is is, a, is an earthly story. It's an analogy. It's an illustration, uh, but it has a heavenly meaning. Uh, simply this: it means it's an illustration to help you understand a truth that is hidden. And a parable is is unique because in a parable, the meaning is hidden in God. It is impossible. It is impossible for man to understand the spiritual message of the parable without the Holy Spirit. The parable is explained as it's explained. A person may grasp the general meaning. Obviously, you read it and you understand kind of the story and what's being said. But without the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to make the application to your life. You won't. You won't be able to see with the eyes of Jesus the, the gospel message that's contained in the story. You won't be able to, to see the depth of the revelation that God is trying to, to do. And, and God planned it that way. Um, he, he planned this for us to need Him, to need His Spirit to gain understanding. Uh, that we wouldn't be able to just come up this on our own. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Paul said this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay. Some churches, uh, sometimes we even neglect, I think, the Holy Spirit. We, we forget how critical it is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, that God speaks to us that way. That's, that's the way he communicates with us. Uh, it, it says that, that his spirit bears witness with our spirit, and it's, not, and it's not the human spirit that he's bearing witness with. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ to us. In fact, the Bible teaches us that that the unbeliever, the unregenerate heart, when they hear a story like a parable, or they, or they hear a lot of truth in Scripture, that, that they'll scoff at it, they'll, they'll shrug it off. They, many times they think it's foolish. The, Jesus said that, that the, the gospel is foolishness to the, to the Gentiles. Um, you know, you hear people say, I, I don't understand what Jesus is saying. I, I, just, I just don't get it. I, I, 
I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it anyway. Um, the Bible says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And it also says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually understood. In these verses here, Jesus is revealing uh, truth that he wants his disciples to understand. Truth that, that he's received from the Father and that the Father has commanded him to deliver to his children. Jesus only spoke what he heard the Father say. He was God in the flesh. He was God incarnate, as we say in church. But he was also man. When he walked on earth as a man, he got his power and wisdom the same way you and I do. Through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within him. And as he submitted to God's authority over him, God spoke to him and taught him these things. Jesus said, Jesus said this. I, I've been reading a lot in, in, in John, and it's funny how when you read these things and really meditate on them, how you, you start reading between the lines a little bit. You can almost see his expression. You can, you can almost hear him take a deep breath or sigh as he says these things. And the, and the Jews... And the leaders and the Pharisees were, were just so good at asking all the wrong questions. When, when Jesus would try to explain to them who he was, uh, we think that the, that, that that was a veiled message somehow, but if you really read the Scriptures, Jesus said over and over and over again, even just in his reference to, to God as his Father, he was telling them who he was. And, and, and then he would... He would, he would teach them something, and, and they would say, well, where is your father? Who are you? And Jesus would have to say, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. You can almost just hear the frustration in his voice. And he said, he said this to him. He said, I have much to say about you and much to judge. And, and I, can, I can almost feel like Jesus wants to say more. He just wants to say more. And then he stops himself and he says, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And he tells him later, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own accord but speak just what the Father has taught me. In another translation, it says only what the Father has taught me. Exactly what the Father has taught. He said to them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In fact, he said, in fact, he said, if I speak on my own authority, then I am nothing. But he who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. There is nothing false in him. This parable is also exclusive information. You have to understand that scripture is clear on this point. Okay? God did not give everyone the ability to understand on a spiritual level what he was saying, no matter how clear he said it. Sometimes we think that all we have to do is apply our human intellect uh, to understand what God was saying. But there's a spiritual element that's involved. Um, Jesus said to the Jews, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Did you catch that? Those who hear will live. He didn't say those who listen will live, or those who come forward at the end of the church service will live. He said those who hear will live. Some will hear. He said to the Jews, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. He said, whoever is of God hears the words of God. He told the Jews, the reason you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And earlier in this chapter, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, they asked him privately, why do you speak to the people in parables? And this is what he said. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. This is a mystery. I don't have an answer for you on that. We receive these things by faith. I guess the best way that I can explain it is that God is limitless. There is... There is no end to who He is. But He has given us a portion of who He is in the Scripture. Does that make sense to you? What what we have in Scripture is what God has revealed to us. But that's not the limit of who God is. God is limitless. And there are just some things that He just doesn't tell us. He doesn't reveal to us that we have to accept by faith. And some of these statements that he makes are are sometimes hard to accept. Why would God not reveal himself to everybody? I I don't know. I don't know. But it's it but it's a mystery. It we can't we can't apply our limited knowledge and intellect and make logical sense out of it. There are there are things about God that he just hasn't chosen to reveal to us. If you desire to know him, if you desire to know the truth, I believe he will reveal it to you. And uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. For he gives to all generously and without reproach. And it says, and it will be given to him. Um, I think God gives to those who desire to know him. If, 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 you, if you don't hear God, if you don't, if you don't hear the way Scripture talks about hearing, then maybe, maybe you don't desire. The other thing we have to be careful of is that we don't make the Scripture say something that it doesn't say. When we read a parable, we have to read it carefully and, and, and understand that God is, is, is telling us through the parable something but he's not telling us everything it's it's a story about something in particular and and we have to be careful to stay with the story and not and not and not stretch it into something that it doesn't mean um sometimes people will will do this uh you 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 you'll be able to relate to this if you've been in church long enough this is one that just pesters me i guess that's all i'll tell you this one in the, in the beginning of chapter 8 of, of John, Jesus, uh, or there's a story that John tells in there about the woman who was caught in adultery. Everybody knows that story? 
All right. In that story, the Pharisees bring this woman to Jesus, and they throw her down at his feet, and they say she's been caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says that we should stone such a woman. What do you say? And what did Jesus do? He knelt down and he scratched in the dirt. He didn't say nothing. He just knelt down and he scratched in the dirt. And how many of you have ever heard somebody preach on that message and speculate on what Jesus was doing with his finger in the sand? Right? It just doesn't say that. Don't, don't say it if it doesn't say that. <laughs> and, uh, but that's what we do sometimes. We, we take the scripture and we, and we add to it more. And uh, so we want to be careful that we don't do that with a parable. Something that I always tell the students, it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay. You ever notice how we have such a hard time not answering people's questions that when they ask us questions about the Bible, we just feel like we have to have all the answers. Guess what? None of us. None of us are Hank, whatever his name. <laughs> the Bible answer man, they call him. Okay? There's probably nobody in this room, including me, that's the Bible answer man. It's okay to say, I don't know. And sometimes you just don't know. When you're talking to an unbeliever, when you're teaching a Bible study, we get into all kinds of trouble when we try to pull something out of it that it doesn't say. This is, this is how the Pharisees were able to write hundreds of laws in addition to, all the, to the laws that Moses gave them. They, they literally piled on hundreds of extra laws in addition to what Moses gave them. Uh, this, is, this is how we developed that invisible book that Ray talked about last week, uh, of all the rules, you know, in the church. And Jesus said this, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. And we wind up with a gospel of works instead of the gospel of grace. Right? So that's my warm-up. That's, that's okay, though. The message isn't that long. Um, let's look at the passage and, and see what God is saying. God said the kingdom may be compared to, or the kingdom is like. Um, it's an illustration using an earthly analogy to explain a spiritual truth. Compared with or like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. This is how we know that this is just an illustration, okay? We're told that the man who sowed the wheat is the son of man, and that the enemy slipped in when he wasn't aware and his men were sleeping. This is just an illustration, okay? God is not trying to teach us something about his sleep patterns here, right? God does not sleep. That's not the point of the message. That's not the point of the parable. God's activity continues without ceasing. Uh, Jesus healed a man on a Sabbath day, and the Jews went crazy, right? And then, and then, uh, and then, you know, they 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 sought to persecute him, and, and they wanted to kill him, and and um, and Jesus' response was, "My Father is at work to this very day, and I too am working." Okay. God commanded us to honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but God doesn't take a day off. God never sleeps. God never ceases His activity. 
You ever feel like God's sleeping? Like, like maybe he stepped out of the room for a while. You ask, is this really the way my life is supposed to be? I, I say things like this when I get into those places. I say, God, just, just show me what you want me to do. I know, I know I'm in a bad place, or I know, I know I'm not hearing from God. I know He's quiet, and I just say, God, just, just show me what you want me to do, please. Let's bring this thing to an end, okay? And, uh, and I want to fix, I want to fix the behavior. I want God to tell me something to do, but God wants to fix my heart. You can remember when maybe you've experienced him in such a powerful way in your life, but lately it just seems like he's not there. We should never base our belief in his presence on our circumstances or our feelings. They're, they're shifty. They're deceptive. God's word is true, not feelings. This you can rely on. Jesus said, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And that promise is for us as well. Jesus said to us, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. I love the way Jesus, whenever he, 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 he came to somebody in a place where they didn't expect him, when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, um, in one passage it says that they, they had rowed three or four miles and then they saw Jesus walking on the sea and he was coming near the boat and they were afraid. And just about every time that happens, Jesus says the same thing. It is I. Do not be afraid. Isn't it great to serve a God that doesn't use fear to get his people to worship him, to serve him? The Bible says that, that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, O oh Lord. How many of you have a garden? A garden out? How many of you have your garden at Schnooks? Yeah. You're, you, you might be better off. You might be smart ones. I don't know. But this parable is about a garden. And uh, this, again, is how I know that this is just an illustration. I don't know about you, but nobody has to sow weeds in my garden. They just, they're just there. They, they grow just fine without anybody's outside help. I don't know where they come from. I don't know how they get there. They say that the seeds just blow in. I, I don't ever see seeds blowing around. But every year, they're there. And uh, every year, I hoe them. Every year, I spray them with Roundup. I knock them down. I cuss at them. And I cut them off before they produce seeds. And the next year, they still come back. The first year I planted a garden, uh, and, you know, 
everybody remember your first year you planted a garden? If you didn't have any help, and I didn't have any help, um, I thought, I'm going to grow some corn. And so I went out and I worked up some ground. I planted three or four rows of corn. I came back three or four weeks later, and I couldn't even find my garden. It was gone. And uh, I, I guess I've been doing this for about 10 or 15 years. I don't know how long. I, I'm getting better at it. But I, but I still haven't gotten rid of the weeds. They're still there. But you know what? I, I, I was reading this, and I thought, this is, this is probably, this is God's garden. The reason there's no weeds in it at first probably is because it relates more to the perfection of the creation that he created in the beginning. Maybe, maybe that's what this is referring to. And there were no weeds in the garden. Isn't it kind of cool to know that in heaven there might not be any weeds? When it's perfect again? But apparently God's men were not expecting an infiltration, but it happened. And when we read stories like this and we, we interpret them wrong, we come up with bad theology. Listen, God is omniscient and he is omnipotent. And that's just a fancy church way of saying that God knows everything and he's all-powerful. Don't fashion a God that is less than omniscient and omnipotent. The God I serve is the one that Jesus said, but with God all things are possible. God is sovereign over all of his creation or he isn't God. If God is ever not sovereign over anything in his creation, then that must mean that there's something else that is over him. And there is nothing that is over God. He is sovereign. If the enemy sowed weeds, it's because God allowed it. And God uses Satan's evil intentions every day to accomplish his eternal plan. God is always in control. So when the plants came up and they bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Something I notice here is that the servants didn't know the weeds were there until the plants bore grain. Did you catch that? So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. And that's when the servants noticed. It was the fruit that distinguished the wheat from the weeds. And it's the fruit that distinguishes us from the world. But listen to me, please. It's not what you think, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not good works. So many times when we hear the word fruit, fruit in our lives we we think of it as good works it's not it's not good works it's a, it's spiritual fruit it's the attributes that only god and only through the holy spirit can produce in us 
That's the fruit in a Christian's life. Anybody can produce good works. But this is different. It's the fruit that God produces in us because you're His. It's the supernatural inner working of the Holy Spirit in us. 1 John 4 verse 13 says, This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. Because we have, because He has given us His Spirit. That's the difference. Take all your self-made good works, all your human humanism, and, 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 and just throw them in the trash. They stink. They look like weeds. God says that our righteousness, our righteousness is like filthy rags. God says you can't merit my favor. You can't earn it. I will give you my righteousness. That's the gospel. That's, that's the message. That's, that's the good news. That we can't earn it. We can't merit it, no matter how hard we try. And God says, I will give you my righteousness free. And he doesn't do it because I have a laundry list of good works attached to my resume. He does it simply and only for Jesus' sake. He does it because of His Son. He is the only one that has access to the Father. God was, God is very emphatic about this. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. And when God condemned people, He condemned them because they rejected the Son. Okay? He takes it pretty personally when we reject His Son. Whoever hears my word and believes in believes him who sent me, Jesus said this, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has life. If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you can add anything to what he's already done, not, you're not there yet. Lay down all your righteousness, all your pride in the things that you do and embrace His righteousness. Notice also that in spite of Satan's desire to choke out and overwhelm, God's plan prevails. In the end times, which is, by the way, what this parable is really all about. It's a picture of the end times. The plans of the evil one will be destroyed. God knows what's going on, and he's not shaken. Listen to what it says in Revelation about what's going to happen someday. I, I just find so much encouragement in knowing that I don't have to worry about how this story ends. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is faithful, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. <clears throat> his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Paul said this to the Thessalonians, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. God's will is that the wheat and the weeds grow together. Jesus prayed this right before his crucifixion. Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In his sovereign wisdom, God chose it this way. Satan thinks he's winning. But God's will moves forward unaltered like a tsunami. He is not shaken. This is, a, this is a picture of the world we live in. Whether you're wheat or weed, you don't have the garden to yourself. The children of the enemy are more numerous and they grow faster and higher than the wheat. But it's still there. Jesus said that in the last days, it will seem like they're not there. That the, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You know, I have a, I have a theory of my own. I probably shouldn't throw out theories, but <laughs> I, I often wonder these things about the end times and, uh, and the whole idea about the rapture. And uh, I, I, I just... Nobody really knows what that's like. A lot of what we read in, uh, in, in, in Revelation <clears throat> about the end times, um, we get a glimpse into it, but, there, but there's a lot of questions, right? We, we don't understand how all this is going to come about and all that's going to take place, and they, and they make movies about it, and they try to help us to kind of imagine what's going to happen. But, but I, I have this theory that that it, that it is all very, very clear. And it will be very, very clear to those who live in that time, to those who have the Spirit of God, when that time comes and when, when those things take place because of the Spirit of God within them, they will read these verses and it will make perfect sense to them. They will understand. They won't have to speculate like we do so much of today. Um, you watch the... You watch the stories, uh, in the, 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 the movies that they make about the end times, and, and you see these depictions of what's going to happen when, when the rapture takes place. If you, if you, if you believe that that's you know, how, how the story goes down, uh, the rapture is when, when Jesus will, will appear in the clouds and he, will, and he will take his people up to heaven to be with him. And, and, and so all, these, all the Christians on earth will disappear. And, and in the movies, it's, it's chaos because because. Hundreds of thousands of people are missing. 
I, I just wonder if, 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 if the church progresses in the direction it's going today, the decline of uh, the church, the decline of people believing who Jesus is. You know, we used to be a majority in this country. Uh, we used to be a majority in Europe. We're, we're anything but a majority in Europe, and, and I don't believe the church is a majority in America anymore. And it, and it seems to be declining more and more to the point that I, 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 I wonder if, if when the rapture appears, when that event takes place, if, if there will be so few Christians, true believers, that it will almost be a non-event to the world. That they may not even notice that it happened. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I probably shouldn't speculate. <laughs> but God's will is that we live together. If God has planted you you are wheat, then he is also predetermined that you should stand out in the world. You may not be visible all the time. You, you, you probably won't stand out higher, but you should be uniquely different. He's also predetermined that you will produce a crop in spite of your circumstances, not because you can, but because he will. At times it may not appear like there's any wheat there, but it is. When the harvest takes place and the weeds are removed and bundled up and burned, it says God will reveal the sons of the kingdom. They're there. And it says they will shine like the sun. Satan is active, but Jesus is greater. I love the verse, John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it will not. When Jesus plants a seed, it grows. I guess, I guess when, I, when I read a passage of Scripture, I, I, I love to find the message that God is saying to me. Uh, and then when I stand up here, I'll just tell you what He told me. Because I, I very rarely read God's Word that, that I'm not encouraged in some way by, by what He says to me. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I hear God say, that I have not forgotten you. Maybe, maybe you live in a situation that is almost unbearable. You know, we go through seasons in life, and sometimes it's just really tough. Maybe, maybe your world is surrounded by so much evil that you can't even see the Lord or other believers. You think you're there alone. You feel lost 
from your trial. Maybe you feel forgotten or left behind. I think this story is for you. God hasn't forgotten you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He who began a good work in you, he will finish it. There's a story in the Old Testament of the prophet Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets, maybe. Um, if you if you if you know the story where um, he challenged the prophets of Baal, and and he went up and he built an altar and and he said, "Whoever's God answers from heaven, he is God." And so and so Elijah built an altar and he. And he experienced this incredible victory. He built this altar and he poured water all over the altar so that water filled the altar and went down around the altar. Through the, the, he dug a trench around the altar and it was full of water. And, and, he, and, and, and God answered from heaven and ignited Elijah's altar. And then the prophets of Baal tried to repeat it and they couldn't. They pranced around and they chanted and they cut themselves with stones, it says, and they, and they couldn't. God did not answer from heaven. And, and Elijah took them and he killed them all. I don't know how, how many there were, 100, over 100 of them. And he killed all of them. This incredible victory that Elijah had. And then Jezebel, the queen, said, as surely as I live, I will take your life. And Elijah runs into the desert away from Jezebel and he hides out. And he cries out to God and he asks God to take his life because he's the only one who still believes. And and you remember the story? God says, no, no, you don't see what I see. I have reserved 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah didn't know that they were out there. He thought he was the only one. And sometimes we feel that way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for the, for the encouragement that we receive from your word. You are good God and we just need to be reminded of how good you are you do not lay heavy burdens on us you have carried the weight you have done all the heavy lifting you have made the way so simple that all we have to do is receive it. All we have to do 
trust. But even in that, Lord, in our flesh and in our humanity, we're, we will run from you every time. Give us a thousand chances and we will turn from you, we will rebel from you, we will, unless, unless you give us your righteousness, unless you give us your spirit, in our humanity, we're not able to even embrace the goodness that you offer us, and yet, and yet you do that. You did it all. Lord, forgive us if we ever lay claim to any part of our salvation. You have done it all. Father, I pray that as we've opened your word and as we've talked about how good you are, that, that maybe maybe today a heart has been lifted. Maybe, maybe today someone's eyes have been opened. Lord, if it, if it has happened that way, it's, it's because of your power and your strength. Lord, we pray that in this time after the service, that, that we would reflect on your word and what you have said to us, and that, and that you would give people courage to move on, courage to stand up, courage to say, I won't go on another day, except God is the God of my life, through Jesus. And it's through him that I pray. Amen. I want to offer an invitation to you this morning as we're done. I, I don't know what God has spoken to your life. Maybe, maybe you just need to come up here and release a burden. Just, just let it go. Just let God have the thing that you've been carrying. Um, maybe you've given it to him before. Maybe you just need to give it to him again. Maybe for the first time in your life, you've realized that you need him. Maybe your eyes have been opened. Is God drawing you? Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except no one comes to me except the Father draws him. That, that, that draw, that magnetic draw that, that, that God provides for us, that pulls us toward the Savior. You know, a lot of people experience that and they don't even realize that that's what's happening. In there. That's, that's, that's God in you. You know, if you're, if you're, you're hanging onto the pew and your knuckles are white and you, and you know you need to do something but you don't know what you should do, that's, that's God. He's... He's saying, give up. Give it to me. He does that. And if you want to do that this morning, then I'll be here at the front. I'll pray with you. I'll talk to you um, as, we, as we sing. You, uh, you respond. And if, and, if, and if God hasn't called you to that, would you pray? Pray for the person next to you. you don't, that's the thing. That's... That's the, that's the reason why God doesn't want us to judge other people is because we don't know what that person sitting next to us is going through. We don't, we don't walk in their shoes. We don't face their battle. So pray for them.